Welcome to Love Works with Chris and Karen Conley. We are glad that you have joined us for part four of a series we're doing called Defining the Mentoring Relationship. I am here with my husband and best friend, also lead pastor of High Point Church in Memphis, Tennessee, Chris Conley. Glad to have my partner in crime with me again today. We're going to pick right back up where we just finished as we are putting the final touches on all of the information that we are trying to put into people's hands so that if they are having the opportunity to mentor someone, that they can start the relationship off right. They can know what on earth to do during that first meeting. When we just finished our last segment, we ended talking about some goals. Those goals that we talked about are questions that you would ask the person that is wanting to be mentored, asking them what do they want most from the mentoring and what is their commitment to the local church. We talked about commitment to spiritual disciplines, learning about their strengths and weaknesses, and then we landed with a final question. Are you willing to work harder at this than me? Pick us up from there, Chris, and tell us a little bit about why those goals are so important and how to ask those types of questions. You're, again, trying to shape their thinking trying to understand what they really want from this relationship. So it's gathering information. But once we ask those questions, then really what we're going to do as the mentor is we're going to now give answers to those questions about where we want to take them. And this is where we are kind of the expert. We're the authority. We're going to lead them in this way. We've asked the questions. We've listened first. And as we listen, Yeah, that'll shape some of the direction we go. Now we want to inform them, to instruct them, to kind of show them how these goals will be more specific, more defined, and how we can make progress over the course of the next three, six, nine months. Before we get into that, one of the things that we typically need to do is just define the logistics. I am the logistics queen in our house, so let me tell you a little bit how this might work. You've got to get into the practical things about meeting. Everybody has busy lives and has schedules, and to say that you're going to mentor someone without getting into the nitty-gritty, it probably isn't going to happen. Things that you would want to do is discuss. Are you going to meet weekly? Are you going to meet bi-weekly? What does that meeting schedule look like? And you want to give us some thoughts on how important that frequency is in a mentoring relationship, Chris? Frequency is essential because there is so many things that happen in the pace of our life. I have a difficult time remembering what happened last week because we pack so much into a week. The reason why we say here and we begin asking the question, is it weekly or bi-weekly? is because really we know it's not monthly. If it is monthly, you're not able to just stay connected enough to that person. If it's monthly, it's gonna be more informational than it is relational. And if it's monthly, you're just kinda walking through a curriculum because you don't have time to catch up on everything relationally. Or what happens if it's monthly, because you feel kind of bad that you haven't been keeping up relationally, then it turns into all relational and not enough informational. And then if it's only monthly, then you feel like you got to do all this keeping up through texting them and calling them and social media and all this other stuff. Whereas if you just simply meet face to face, kind of the good old days, right, where we just actually spend time with people on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis, we can stay connected enough to accomplish both the relational part and the informational part. Not to split hairs with this, but I sometimes, and I think this is frequently the case, women that are in that role of mentoring 
are often sought after by multiple women. I know in our body, there are many women that could mentor, but of those that really do, they're like magnets. If one woman is having a great mentoring relationship with them, they'll have four or five or six other women that'll be calling and saying, would you mentor me? Would you mentor me? So in the whole scheduling of this, there have been times where I will say, we're going to meet three out of four weeks a month because I can't quite commit to weekly with my calendar, but I have found the bi-weekly is hard because you do spend at least the first 30 minutes really just catching up on life because it has been too long. So it is important to really get specific and get it nailed down so that there's no confusion, no, oh yeah, I forgot we were meeting or when was it that we said that there's clarity in that. How long should the meetings be? Is that an important thing to decide? Absolutely, because again, when you determine the length of the meeting, you have to factor into your mind, how is that going to influence the relational component versus the teaching component in addition with kind of the interaction? One of the things that you don't want to happen is to feel rushed. This is a relationship. You need to allow people to just talk about what has been going on in their life and how they understand that in the context of God's overall development of who they are and what he wants to do in and through them. Anything less than an hour, really, you just can't do it. Right. I would say it's anywhere between an hour and two hours. Honestly, For women, I'd go longer. I would agree. For men, I'd go shorter. So the women, they're going to enjoy an hour and a half to two hours to really get that done. They're more verbal than we are. They're going to talk about more things at a deeper level, typically. The men, we're a little bit more. We can cut to the chase. We can shoot the bull quickly, and then we can jump right in and kind of get to the point. So for men, I'd say a lot of times you might do this over a lunch hour. You might be able to stretch it out to an hour and 15 minutes. You might be able to do it over a coffee, that kind of thing. You really want to guard against under an hour. I know specifically for women, it would become more like a business relationship than a friendship. And so even though that might be a woman that you've looked up to, all of a sudden it feels kind of distant if you just hop in there and just get to business and really miss that interaction on the front end. On the other side of the equation, let me give permission for men. For men, a lot of times I can say, okay, men, give me five minutes. What's going on in your life? He's not offended by that, you know, where a woman would be. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm like, hey, let's jump in or just be real direct and kind of to the point. Hey, We've stated we got a goal here. We're going to do this. Now, as we get talking about things, then I'll know when to push pause and dive into a specific area. But we don't just kind of talk. We talk with some direction and some purpose of trying to go somewhere. Most men are going to be that way. Now, there's other men that they're more wired socially, relationally, and stuff like that. We just need to understand the difference between the two. As the mentor, there is a respect of your time as well. It is absolutely fine to have an ending time and to understand that this is the time that you have set aside for that. Again, be a leader in this relationship. It's all an approach, but it doesn't have to be an unending appointment either. Um, How about location? Is there anything that would be wise to think through in terms of where you meet? Absolutely. Earlier, I said that it can be over lunch. That's true. It's not ideal, but it's true. Oftentimes when it's in a lunch environment or something like that, then there's, again, you just added another element. You've added food to this and just other things that are taking up your time and, and removing your focus. 
coffee, honestly, is better. You can get together and sometimes whether it's going to a coffee shop or going to someone's office, if there's that kind of flexibility to go to their office, just depending upon your homes, you want to find a place where you don't have to be incredibly self-conscious about others listening to your conversation. You want to find a place where you can talk about some serious things. And if it were to generate emotion, that's okay. You know, you don't have to be self-conscious about that either. Preferably, you would love for it to be a place where if you wanted to pray together, you could pray together. There are some preferred environments that provide that, but you just got to do the best you can do. In terms of details and kind of who carries the responsibility for this, what do you recommend? Clyde Cranford, the man that mentored me, taught me this very early in the relationship. He said, you are asking me to invest my time in you. So I don't want to be chasing you around, trying to figure out when you want to meet, when is it good for you to meet, and all that kind of stuff. He said, the burden and the responsibility is on you to set up the meetings. Now, we'll set up an initial time, and we'll agree, but you need to be proactive in the communication process. I'm not going to babysit you. I'm not going to take responsibility for if you're late all the time, then what Clyde would tell me is he would say, Chris, you're not wasting my time. You're wasting God's time. That I have a limited amount of time. God has given me this time to be a good steward of it and to invest it in people. Don't waste God's time. That hit hard. It was one of those things where initially I kind of wanted to be a little sarcastic and go, whatever. But the way he would say it and the directness and the seriousness, I, you know, it was almost like you felt bad laughing at it, right? You had to be serious because it was serious. And we just need to respect and honor people. None of us have an abundance of time. All of us are fighting to use our time wisely. If someone is going to give you their time, then be a good steward of their time and treat it with the utmost respect. I want you to communicate in advance. I want you to let them know, hey, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Send them a text. Thank you for meeting with me. So you need to be a pro when it comes to managing this relationship. Excellent point that probably most people wouldn't necessarily think about in advance. The last thing we'll mention in the world of logistics before we move on is to me probably one of the most critical things that helped me in the quality of my mentoring relationships. And that is that you set evaluation dates that right there on the front end, when you you have that first meeting, you kind of leave that meeting and both of you decide usually what happens is I'll meet with them and then I'll follow up in communication with them and, and just say, hey, does it seem like it would be a good fit for me? This seems like it'll work. Does it work for you? And and then you've got all of that stuff already decided in advance. But at that meeting as well to set up a time to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this relationship. And then at the three-month mark, let's go ahead now and determine that we'll evaluate where the relationship is. How often would you recommend an evaluation? What is your thoughts on making sure you use that aspect of this wisely? The evaluation gives you the opportunity to sometimes have a hard talk in a scheduled way. So let's say you're three or four weeks into this. This person's not being responsible. They're not being a good steward. They're not being responsible with this opportunity. And you've got a, your first evaluation is one month in. So you can let them know 
coming up. Hey, next week, what we're going to do is we're going to evaluate just how this is working. What's the chemistry like? You know, is this what you thought it would be? Are you getting out of this what you want? You can just give people developmental feedback in that way. So it gives you the ability to make any improvements or corrections quickly one month in. Then I recommend that the evaluation dates be three months, six months, nine months. At nine months, hopefully you might be at a place where you really have fulfilled this mentoring relationship and you can then turn them loose to go mentor someone, take what you have taught them and give it to another. But sometimes we'll then go into 12 months if they're not quite ready yet. But those evaluation dates are mid-course corrections, opportunities for improvement, opportunities to have strategic conversations about what's going right, what's not going right, what are the strengths and weaknesses, and how can we make adjustments. For somebody that has a hard time saying hard things, even in a kind way, this provides really an open forum to have that conversation, do it in a way that isn't confrontational or isn't awkward, but it's already just been designed to have some feedback. All right. As we move on, Chris, we mentioned the questions before that we were going to approach the mentee with and ask them. From the mentor's perspective, if you were able to gather a bunch of mentors together, why, as we talked about that first question, one of them was what they wanted from mentoring, but moving on really to the whole aspect of the local church, why is that commitment something that's important for us to look for in somebody that we're going to mentor? Because we said earlier, this type of mentoring goes back to 2 Timothy 2.2 where it says, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we were making a distinction between the new believer and a man or woman who has acquired some elements of faithfulness. That faithfulness begins with the local church. God has designed the local church to be the body of Christ, and he gave the mission of discipleship to the local church. So if I mentor you and it's just me and you and you are not serving or participating in a local church, then I'm going to reproduce both my strengths and my weaknesses in you. But there are many other people who are a part of the body of Christ who have different strengths that they're going to use their strengths to pour those into you. And it's going to allow you to be more well-rounded. It's going to allow you to be presented complete in Christ, which was the goal in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. So mentoring for the purpose of discipleship doesn't work apart from the local church. Like, let me say that again. It does not work. Nothing replaces the local church. God designed the local church to be the organization, the family, the body Uh, by which he accomplishes his purpose. Everybody in the world knows that we need to take care of orphans because there was never designed to be a child without a family. None of us can be followers of God apart from the family of God, which is the local church. So it doesn't work because discipleship requires all the gifts of the body of Christ. It doesn't work because discipleship requires all the one another opportunities of the body of Christ. You say one another, what do you mean? Like There's 58 different times in Scripture it says things like this. Love one another. Encourage one another. Instruct one another. Honor one another. Submit to one another. 
care for one another. So it's statements like that. That's where that takes place. And then we also have to remember it doesn't work because discipleship requires all the missional opportunities of the body of Christ. So if I were to look at the Great Commission, go and make disciples in a one-on-one way, it would be intimidating, overwhelming, and potentially I would just give up. What difference can I make? But if we were to look at it as I'm a part of a greater team, I'm a part of this global organization that has a mission, then you know what? We can make a difference together that we cannot make alone. What we're talking about right now, if you're just joining in, is that there are some commitments that the person that we are mentoring needs to make in order for the mentoring relationship to be successful. We just talked about the first one. They've got to be committed to a local church. Now, if someone approaches you and wants to be mentored and they're not a part of the local church, great. Invite them to yours. Get them involved. It's not, oh, well, sorry, you're not involved somewhere. We can't do this. That's part of the sanctification process for them. Maybe for some reason they're out of fellowship and they need to be pulled back in. Great. That is your opportunity to bring them into your body for them to see the importance of that. But something else that we talked about last time, and we just touched on it, is asking them about their spiritual disciplines. Elaborate a little bit for those who are considering mentoring someone, why that is so critical to the relationship. Well, I think it all goes back to the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. Spiritual disciplines are a way for us to sow the right seeds in our life. Without spiritual disciplines, then we're going to be disciplined in other things. And those disciplines are going to be making investments in areas that may not be consistent with what God has in store for us, what God's plan is for us, his purpose is for us. When I have a spiritual discipline of a priority time, then I am sowing the seeds of the word of God into my life. And then I know that I can reap the benefit of renewed mind. And when I have a renewed mind, then I'm no longer conformed to this world, but I'm transformed. So the benefit is I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. First of all, I have stronger desires. I have pure desires instead of impure desires. Those desires lead to better decisions, which lead to disciplines in my life which established the direction of my life and ultimately will determine the destination of my life. And so when we look at this, there's all kinds of spiritual disciplines, but the foundational one is a priority time. It is a daily, unhurried, inspired time to read the word of God, to know the God of the word. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. In Matthew chapter six, it talks about kind of three secret disciplines. It's prayer, fasting, and giving. That's how these spiritual disciplines are foundational to a growth process. It is the equivalent of practice for an athlete. If an athlete wants to only play in the games but never practice, how good will the athlete be in the games? You have to practice. The goal is for the person that you are mentoring, you have poured into them everything that you have, and then they move on. They have to be able to handle the word of God and be fed from the Lord himself. You don't want them to be dependent upon you. So if they don't have any spiritual disciplines, you're teaching them inadvertently to be dependent upon you, which is very unhealthy. They're going from a spoon-fed Christian to Mm -hmm. a self-feeding Christian. The exact same thing you as a mom when you were first teaching our children the whole process of how to go from milk to baby food to table food 
well, eventually they've got to learn to do this themselves. We've got just a few more minutes, and there are a couple other commitments that I think are particularly important. Would you maybe hit on the importance of them understanding that they come under your own spiritual leadership, you as the mentor? How does that look like in a relationship? Yeah, a lot of mentors really are uncomfortable with this. They're uncomfortable being the leader or being the authority or taking the position of coaching the mentee. Listen, you have to establish this kind of coach-player relationship. You are the leader. That's what they're coming to you for. So in this process, as the leader, you have to give yourself permission to cut them off at times. You have to give yourself permission to change the way they think about something, to change their terminology. Like I used to say, I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And Clyde would say, no, you actually did not accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I said, what do you mean? And he'd say, you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He said, if you use the word accept, then you're putting yourself in the place of judging him and accepting him. He's acceptable whether you accept him or not. But you trust him. And so he would interrupt me and he would change my terminology because our terminology influences our theology. So you need to be able to stop someone and speak truth and love. You need to be able to have hard conversations. You need to challenge a person. It's absolutely vital that you see yourself as that leader, that they submit to you as that leader, and they give you permission to speak truth and love to them. For those that are a little bit uncomfortable, as you mentioned, if you consider it this way, why invest all that time if you really aren't going to help them? If you're just going to let them talk and and you just kind of dance around it, you're really missing the opportunity to be used of the Lord to make them more like Christ. All right. One other thing that you have on here is their willingness to complete special assignments. What do you mean by that? As a leader, there are times that you want to teach them the principle of be faithful with a little and God will put you in charge much. So give them some assignments. For example, initially early in the mentoring relationship, Clyde gave me the assignment of reading A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. So I had to read the book, and then I had to come back, and I had to kind of give him my thoughts on the book, almost like a book review. Part of that, he's just testing, am I really going to do this? I had to memorize certain verses. So there's homework, for lack of a better term. There's special assignments. Sometimes we're going to go to the Memphis Union Mission together, and we're going to serve these homeless men together. Or sometimes we're not going to do it together. I'm going to ask you in this first year of our mentoring relationship for you to go on a mission trip. So I'm creating these assignments so that you get specific experiences. Sometimes you're going to go share your testimony somewhere, and I'm going to go watch, and I'm going to give you feedback on how you did. It's those kind of things. And without a mentor, you'd never be stretched to do those. And that's the beauty of that relationship, and that's why you put yourself under somebody else's leadership. Last thing as we wrap up for today, you have this beautiful thing that Clyde really prioritized in your mentoring relationship, and that is that your mentee must be committed to becoming a mentor or to reproduce themselves. Tell me a little bit about that as we finish up. I had to make that commitment on the front end before Clyde would ever mentor me. I had to say that as a result of him investing in me, I would invest in someone else. 
I would become a person who mentors people. That's just biblical. Moses and Joshua, Moses and Caleb. It's the biblical principle that there is no success without a successor. It's that mentoring picture of Barnabas, Paul, and Timothy, that Barnabas took Paul under his wing. Barnabas then allowed Paul to really become even a greater leader than Barnabas and kind of released him. And then Paul brought Timothy under his wing. Ultimately, to whom much is given, much is required. And we are giving you our time and everything that God's ever taught us. And now we're requiring you to go give it to someone else. Well, I hope that this conversation has inspired you to go, to mentor, to be used, and allow the Lord to pour into other people that what has been already poured into you. Please, if you want to follow us at either chrisconley.net or karenconley.com, check out highpointmemphis.com. Any information that you would want would be there. But above all, we just ask you to remember that loving God plus loving people equals love works. 